0: Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is full of gray areas, uncertainty, and quite often fear. Higher Potential with Indeed is here to demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations, groundbreaking ones too. I'm your host, Erin Waddell, Strategic Insights Consultant and d Evangelist in Australia for Indeed. I've worked in the recruitment industry in Australia for the last seven years and have been in Australia for 10 years. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com, the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. In today's episode, We are exploring diversity and inclusion strategies that reach beyond predictable and often harmful checkbox exercises. According to Indeed's recent DNI report, 81% of working Australians believe that people from different ethnic or cultural backgrounds are treated equally where they work, but only 73% of workers from cultural or ethnic minority groups agree, with one in five feeling that they are not treated equally at work. The statistics are a stark and important reminder that diversity and inclusion initiatives should do more than just be a checkbox exercise. In this episode, we'll be exploring why some approaches to systemic issues like racial inequity often tackle symptoms such as demographic representation and fail to address root causes from institutional discrimination to cultural bias and much more. Joining us today to help provide tangible tools and practices that can help create real and meaningful change is Alyssa O'Connell, Head of People and Culture at Flight Center Travel Group, where she has worked for over 30 years improving culture and diversity at one of Australia's leading travel organizations. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you very much for having me, Erin. I'm uh, very privileged to be with you today. Well, great. We are very happy that you're here. To kick us off, I I think it would be great to hear more about your work as head of people and culture at Flight Centre.
1: Well, I jumped into the people and culture role just over two years ago when the pandemic was just coming to its fruition here in Australia. And I had the illustrious opportunity to step into people and culture and have to stand down most of our workforce and inevitably have to make five and a half thousand people redundant. So a low light of my career, my professional career, but a massive learning journey. Uh, My roles before that had been general management roles, so I'd worked closely with people and culture, but now I was running people and culture. So what we're doing now is rebuilding a workforce, um, rebuilding all that's great about our culture, reminding people of why they loved Flight Centre three years ago and they will love us again. And most importantly, waiting to see the world open up so we can send people um, around the world again.
0: Yeah, I know that your industry was very impacted by the pandemic. That must have been a really difficult position to be in, especially like right as you're starting the job. I am excited for the industry and your company. You know, hopefully it will recover quite quickly now that we are hopefully moving further past the initial stages of the pandemic. And the world is opening up more and more. So I think it's really interesting that you've worked at the same organization for over 30 years. I think you probably have some extremely unique insight into how d practices have evolved and not just at Flight Center, but in the culture in general. Can you tell us about some of the biggest shifts that you've seen over the years? Well,
1: Erin, I started here as a very young woman, and the travel industry is pretty blessed with having predominance of women in the workforce. So a quality of women in the workforce was always something really natural for me at Flight Centre. What I have seen over 30 years is lots of those women who started off in entry-level roles become senior executives, take on really um, significant roles, global roles. Um, Our senior executive here in Australia is 50% women, 50% male, which is awesome. We have a woman on our board. We have senior women at our um, senior strategic task force globally. So I've seen women grow and evolve into more senior roles, um, which is not unusual in travel. What is um, unusual or different in our industry is seeing other kinds of diversity and inclusion become more the norm. So LGBTQI community, um, always attracted to the travel industry, but now that seems to be a natural conversation in our workplace, which is awesome different cultures. Um, you know, if I walk, walk the floors in our head office here, it's a very multicultural business. Um, we actually have more than 30% of our workforce in flight centre travel group who are multilingual and 33% who were born not in Australia. So that's really awesome. Uh, but to see things like LGBTQI be a normal conversation is where the greatest change, I think, to some of diversity and inclusion has happened.
0: That is so interesting because it's something that I think the younger generations probably won't have to experience the shift. It'll just always be that way. And I think that's the best part of it all in terms of, you know if it's changed that much where it's just a normal conversation. And I think that goes for, like you said, that goes for more than one group as well. You know, maybe it's a little more common for people to feel comfortable sharing that maybe they're neurodiverse or maybe they have a disability that you can't see, obviously. Um, I think that that is a great shift. It's really great to hear the positives um, of all this as well. And of course, you know, there's some areas that continue to need improvement. I don't think it's ever going to just be a... Perfect world. But I was wondering if you could help explain what tokenism is. And when it comes to diversity and inclusion, especially in hiring and in the workplace, how it might be harmful.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's become um, a subject of tokenism, diversity, and inclusion in workplaces. And I think it's well intended and poorly executed. But, you know, tokenism is a symbolic effort that probably isn't well supported throughout the organisation. It might be a desire to reach some compliance targets that have been set by the board or by executives, but it's really not an embedded natural strategy that people are on board with. I think it also... Is where you're driving an outcome for the outcome's sake rather than taking your workforce on a journey about talking to them around the significance of diversity and the significance of inclusion and creating a workforce where everybody can turn up and feel valued. And if we don't have strategies that are top down and bottom up, we tend to just get a compliance, a metric or a a need to meet a requirement around a program rather than authentic need to have diversity inclusion. Look, some of the pitfalls that I've seen are when you're chasing down a metric or chasing down an outcome, you can make some really poor choices. And sometimes this can happen in recruitment. You know, when you're trying to recruit more females into the workplace, they become a statistic. So rather than looking for the best individual for the job, you're looking for a woman for the job. Um, when you're trying to bring in um, cultural diversity, looking for a diverse racial group to bring into your business, is it a number or, or once again, are you looking at the individual? And I don't think any of us want to be just a female or LGBTQI community or a different ethnicity. We genuinely want to be valued for who we are and the background that we bring to the organisation. So I think there can be a drive, well-intended, well-meaning, to reach some targets and to have an inclusive and diverse workforce that can end up as tokenism if we haven't brought our workforce on the journey with us.
0: And I think there's space for appreciation of what a diverse workforce can bring to the company, what diverse not just from a demographic standpoint, but what what thoughts or what viewpoints people from different backgrounds can bring. And maybe there's an area that you're not... Thinking about that, someone from a different background than the majority of the workforce can bring in and help to clarify, you know, or to help to say, hey, you know, we're leaving this group of people out, or we're not being inclusive here, or in our hiring practices, we're not giving this option, which would greatly benefit a certain group of people. I think that there's a lot of space for that as well. And I hope that, you know, and I know that sometimes it's hard to quantify, but I hope that that is becoming more of a a tracked thing in terms of, okay, you know, we have a diverse workforce in this sense and here's some of the great things that it's brought to our company. Have you been able to see any of that happening as well? I, th- I think that um, the more you have conversations
1: about unconscious bias, the more you make recruiters and hiring managers aware of the fact that there is a lack of diversity, that they're hiring person X over and over again, but not as a discipline reaction, but as an explanation of the richness that diversity brings. You know, whether it's uh, whether it's gender, uh, whether it's ability, it doesn't really matter. The more diversity, the better thinking, the better problem solving, the richer our team environments are, the more welcoming our workplaces are. And recruitment has a responsibility. Hiring managers have responsibility, but people and culture generally need to raise the conversation. You know, um, it can't just be everyone is male, 32, and, you know, with a degree around here. That can't be how we look. We need to be measuring some of the different um, demographies that we have in our business and celebrating that. And we certainly try to do that at Flight Centre with our, our diversity and inclusion policy. We call it Come As You Are. Um, which know, uh, Nirvana fans will appreciate but everyone should be able to turn up exactly as they are at Flight Centre and we want to celebrate the differences not the sameness and I think most workplaces understand at some level how impactful the differences are but it's helping everyone in the organisation understand how the differences make
0: it a better workplace. I just love that we somehow got nirvana into this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa, for bringing that to us. But it's so it's so true. It's It's so true is, you know, I think it would be very hard for myself and people that worked at Flight Center or Indeed who feel comfortable to show up exactly as they are to go into an environment where they feel like they have to hide a part of themselves or... Or tamper down some of their experiences, their background, maybe their religion. You know, you don't want anyone to feel like that when they come into work. So I think that's a great, a great piece of, of advice. The other thing I wanted to talk about, this is something that it comes up a lot in my role with Indeed and in here as well, is the checkbox exercises when it comes to diversity and inclusion initiatives, when it comes to hiring people when you're trying to tick the diversity boxes. And then are you hiring somebody because of that? Or are you hiring them because they're the best person for the job? It's, it's a tough one. And so what are some examples of those checkbox exercises when it comes to d yeah uh,
1: as I said before, recruitment is probably the main point where that happens, you know where we we give a profile of who our current workforce are and who we want them to be. and then you have recruiters specifically looking for a type. Um, and even though most organizations have cultural alignment, you know people who fit our organization, they could look. Um, very different. So, you know, I might be a cultural fit for our organisation, but a young 24-year-old um, engineer who's a Muslim man from India might also be an awesome fit for our organisation. So, to think that your organisation has a type rather than someone that aligns with your organisational values, I think, is important. And ensuring that there's a panel. You know, I love the idea that you don't just have a single person involved in choosing someone's destiny to join your your organisation but, you know, even having mixed gender panels to make sure that you're getting different perspectives, um, that you're using hiring managers, that you're using peers, that you're using someone up, that you've got recruitment. A tick box exercise is deemed, I think, inauthentic by your organisation. And employees smell that, right? They smell that that's not right. And no one wants to feel that someone's got the job on who they are but more the, mer- the merit of the individual and all that they bring, not just I got the job because I'm a woman or I got the job because we need more of person X. But it's not just recruitment. You know, it's team leaders, like I said before, with unconscious biases. But I, I think checkbox exercise is where that, um, where that well-intended policy um, form strategy for making decisions rather than a genuine desire to see a full and diverse workforce. And yet, we have data. All organisations have data about who they are. So checkbox should be, well, we know who we are, where are their gaps and how do we think about those gaps differently? Not just to tick the box. Yes, we've, we've brought in people with um, different abilities, but we actively want to ensure that our workplace is welcoming to people with different abilities. How do we do that? What is the strategy to sure that that exists.
0: Yeah. And I think those strategies are really, really important. And I think equally as important as having a strategy is measuring and benchmarking the DNI strategies. And, you know, I'm curious from your perspective, do you think that that's really important? Do you think that it's more important to have a strategy, but not track it? Or is it equally as important to actually track that strategy to make sure it's working?
1: I'm a big believer that if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going to. So you have to have a start point. You have to understand the data around your people and understand what the makeup of your people is. Then you've got to set goals. Where do we want to go? What do we need to look like? And I think you need to track the movement. But I'm a big believer of progress over perfection. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a perfect workplace in Australia. Um, this is certainly not a perfect workforce uh, that works here, but we do work collectively on progressing. You know, we want to be better today than we were yesterday. We want to be better next year than we were last year. So you need to keep a metric, but not so much to promote your your great deeds, but to know that you're actually making a difference and that people internally feel the difference. So the numbers should match um, what the people are telling you about the environment that they work in because if you've simply chased down a number or a goal and hired more female employees but those females are turning over at a great rate of knots because they can't stand your workplace because you haven't had any genuine change then it's just a metric for metrics sake so it's got to be linked to a program of work not just a strategy but a real program of work that you work on making um, progress on and expect that perfection will be a tough ask
0: yeah it's interesting indeed did a recent dni survey. And it said that 25%, which is like a quarter of Australians, didn't know what their organization does to promote diversity and inclusion at all. And then 17% said that their organization does not promote diversity and inclusion. And only a third said that there was a workplace diversity and inclusion policy that they were aware of. And so do you think that there needs to be some work within the organization to ensure that... All the employees are on the same page. And what are some of the things internally that a company can do to ensure that all of their employees are living and breathing these values and and making sure that they're also helping keep the strategy in line?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and you know, back to Nirvana. Um, that's why we named our diversity and inclusion policy "Come as You Are." You know, we wanted it to be a little bit different, a little bit unique. We use photos of our own people to promote our diversity and inclusion. Uh, we have working groups in the business who actually come from the bottom up and top down to say, "Hey, I want to work on women and gender. I want to work on LGBTQI, which we call Pride. I want to work on um, people with different abilities." And that working group. So we actively ask people to be involved in how that strategy plays out in the business. One of the lessons that I had was we had a, an, an active working group around women, and we called it our Woman Wise program, which was to promote women to step into more senior roles. And the women loved it, but the men got really disgruntled about the fact that they weren't being invited to that lunch. And what we hadn't done was explain to the men how significant it was that we didn't have enough women um, putting themselves forward for senior roles. You know, we had all these women in our workforce, but they weren't equally showing up in applying for senior roles. And when we went back to our men and said, hey guys, this is why we're doing it. This is why it's important. This is why these lunches are women's lunches, this is the outcome we're trying to get, and then showed them the outcome that we were getting, our men came on the journey. So that was a great learning for me that you have to take the entire workforce on the journey. You have to explain it. There has to be a place that it's prominent. We use our workplace, which is one of our Comms tools internally to promote this activity. It's well invested in. We keep it alive and well. We have activities that relate to these pillars of our diversity and inclusion. And look, we don't promote it as diversity and inclusion. We promote it as come as you are, um, which is making sure everyone can turn up at Flight Center Travel Group exactly as themselves. So that's the outcome for me. When we do an engagement survey, do you feel comfortable to turn up as yourself at Flight Center Travel Group? If people say yes, then we're achieving our goal. So I think it does need to be a holistic conversation. You need to embrace it. It can't just be a documented um, policy. It needs to be alive. And um, every organisation will have a way of making it alive. For us, it was Nirvana. Um, For other people, it might be something completely different. But how do you create a policy that has real approaches, that has real actions that your people can be involved in? That's That's what's worked for us.
0: Yeah, and back to that survey, 81% of Australians currently in in work or working say it's important that their workplace is promoting diversity and inclusion. So clearly there's a demand for that to be happening, and it's not a trend, right? It's not a passing trend. It's something that more and more Australian employees are saying that it matters to them. It's one of their core values, and I think that you're absolutely right. It's I think that the fact that what you said is it has to be alive is Fantastic. It can't just be a policy that sits there for someone to go find on an internal page. (laughs) It has to be a living, breathing thing. And I think that you're that's that's a really great way of putting it because I think a lot of times, again, it comes back to that checkbox, but you don't want to just do something to do something to say that you did it. It needs to be something that is living and breathing. And that if you walk into that office, if you join the company virtually, let's say, you can tell regardless of where you are or who you're talking to. I think that that's great. Is there any resistance that workplaces could expect when they implement these strategies that are operating outside of the checkbox narrative? And maybe how could they prepare to mitigate that resistance? I think you need to consider all your stakeholders. You know, the
1: board's going to want one outcome, the executive team's going to want another, and the workforce will need another outcome. So are you thinking about all the stakeholders and including them in how you engage them? Um, I think resistance, like I said, if you're not explaining the why and taking the entire workforce on the journey, just simply putting a number out there about uh, gender diversity or whatever your goals might be, if you haven't taken the workforce on the journey of why you're doing this. If you haven't trained on the benefit of inclusivity in the workforce, if you don't have role models for who that, you know, where that's happening and how it looks, it's really hard for people to get their head around it. So informing our people, um, having a rich strategy that they can read, you know, something that they can understand and sink their teeth into and understand how we're going to measure it and how it's going to look in the workforce. That's the really important part. And remembering that each one of those stakeholders might need a different communication um, and a different approach to how they hear what you're trying to do. And measuring it and celebrating the successes, right? You know, we love to celebrate when we've achieved something um, amazing in our organization around our diversity and inclusion. You know, a third of our people speak another language other than English. How awesome is that? Let's celebrate it. Let's talk about it. Let's have different flavors of the world, we call it, where we allow people to bring different lunches and we share in people's culture. about putting together a cookbook at the moment where people can bring different recipes from their own culture and we can sell that internally uh, to raise some funds all these things help it make a help diversity and inclusion to be a normal part of the narrative in your organization rather than a policy that you pull out once a year when you're doing reporting and back to the checkbox make sure that you've delivered on it you know how does it need to look in in each organization to feel authentic?
0: Yeah, authenticity is such a big one. I think that's such a big one as well. And I love the idea of the cookbook. And I think that, you know, there's so many opportunities, right? Like a learning exchange, a language exchange. There's so many things that you can do to educate people while including other people. I think that's fantastic. In terms of, you know, to take it away from the checkbox exercise for a second, because it does kind of factor in, you know, I think when it comes to discrimination i think that there's a fair amount of australians that have experienced or witnessed certain forms of discrimination at work regardless of whether it's microaggression or some other form how is that handled at flight center and you know what do you do from the very beginning to make sure that you've mitigated that as much as possible
1: i think that people need to understand um What their rights are as an employee and you need to direct them to a place where they can easily read and understand the policies and an organisation's position on that. You need to educate leaders from the time they have an involvement in leading people. You can't wait till they're at a senior level. It needs to be the moment you step into any sort of interim leadership role, people explain to you your responsibilities over the people that you look after. Um, And for now, our organisation, HR should be partnering with leaders and individuals to make sure that they feel safe in the workplace. So it shouldn't wait till an escalated issue needs investigation. I think that's the worst outcome, right? If it, need, if it has to be escalated that HR is partnering with you in an investigation, um, we've caught it far too late. It should be people raising concerns that they feel that there is a place that they can be heard and understood and that leaders right throughout the organisation from the very beginning of their leadership journey understand what they're responsible for and how they need to keep their team together and respect and honour the policies, that we have around diversity and inclusion. Uh, And we like to do loads of education on that. Um, To some degree, we have it easier than other organisations because um, at team leader level, it is indicative of some of the other diversity. So, you know, um, 75% of our workforce is female, 75% of our team leaders are female. So some of the things that will be relevant in other workplaces don't hit us, but it does need to start with education as part of what is expected of me in my role.
0: That's a great place to start as well. And, you know, I'm just curious, you've been at Flight Center for so long, and I'm sure there's still work to be done, but what is one of your, I suppose, your most proud accomplishments that you've had in your, your d and career, yourself? we've
1: done so much with Come As You Are. I know I talk about that a bit, I, I'm an old Nirvana fan, but allowing people to have their stories heard about their diversity. Um, you know, when it came to Ramadan, one of our young men indicated that in the workplace, he'd never shared uh, what Ramadan meant to him, to his workplace. He'd he'd fasted, you know, quietly and shyly, but he he wrote a whole piece for us um, about what Ramadan meant to him and how he celebrated and how important it was. He posted that on our internal comms and got lots of questions questions and feedback. um, And that made him feel fantastic. Um, And there's loads of little stories like that, but the collective of those stories where people are able to show up just as themselves and as an entire workforce, we can celebrate their uniqueness. That makes me feel fantastic. Um, You know, we we asked our people about, did they want to be an ally of or part of the LGBTI community? And hearing that 26% of our people actively wanted to be Counted out as part of that community, that made me feel really proud as well. They could have stayed quiet about that, but they actively said, No, I identify as part of that community, and that makes me really proud. Um, things like that allow me to feel like we are making inroads and we're far from perfect. You know, there's a big opportunity for us to ensure that our head office buildings and retail stores are fit for people with varying abilities. Like, that's a big issue, right? Um, and we've got a long way to go in that. And I would love to know that our um, varying abilities could be measured in this organisation and and that we met people and brought awareness to people with varying abilities in our organisation. But one step at a time, there's some places where I think we're getting some great wins and at least we have a view of where we need to move forward. Um, So we're not looking at the landscape and saying, wow, where do we start? We're saying, well, we've got great activity here and great activity there. Here's an opportunity for us to really make a difference. So that's where we're headed.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, I'm hoping now that, you know, we're moving into a new era of things being open, the world opening up with travel. That when it does come time to take a look at, or if it is now, maybe it's now, you know, maybe the retail stores themselves or the spaces where people can come in and book a trip. That is something that I I forgot that you have to consider is not just the accessibility of your workplace, but the actual accessibility and layout of the, the stores themselves. And and that's a big task because I feel like there is a flight center Everywhere you go, it's and none of them are going to be identical. So you can't just cookie cutter out a a, a layout that's going to work everywhere, right? Like what's going to work in a shopping center in Sydney might not work on a busy high street in Perth. And yeah, that's a huge task. I did not even consider that. So yeah, that's 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 a really big one because again, when it comes to the living breathing strategy, it has to be internal and external in your in your case. And so. I think that's a, a really large one. And on the web, if you're allowing people to book things online and yeah, it's a bit it's a big one. Does Flight Center have affinity groups or employee engagement groups? Yes, we have
1: employee engagement groups and um we're working on things like that right now to work out how we ensure that we're meeting the needs um generally and we we call for people to be actively involved in that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. Okay. Well, I've learned so much today. I think you've had a really interesting career within Flight Center, and I'm really impressed with some of the initiatives that you've created, some of the ones that you've got off the ground, and your advice on what strategies other companies can take away to try to move away from, let's just hit these numbers style of uh, recruitment. So the final question, which is how we finish every episode of Higher Potential with Indeed is... What do you think it will ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future?
1: Mm, that's a really great question. And I'm going to go back to authenticity because I think it requires um Everybody, head and heart, to value the fact that diversity and inclusion, just as it is in our society, is necessary in our workplaces and buy into a strategy to create that. So, when everybody has a seat at the table where people can look around and feel that their diversity is embraced with a seat at the table and their voice being heard, then diversity and inclusion is there. And, you know, um, I think when we saw Dylan Alcott talk about if you can't see someone, you can't be someone, you know, I think about that all the time our workforce? Are we displaying everything we want to with diversity and inclusion? And There's opportunities for more of that yet. But if you've got a seat at the table and your voice can be heard and with our head and our heart, we appreciate that diversity and inclusion is great for our organisation as it is for socially, then we're well on our way.
0: Wow. That was really great to hear because you're right. It's, It's making sure people have a voice, a seat at the table, that it's coming from the leadership all the way on down. Alyssa, thank you so much for being here today to give us your wisdom on this topic. It's been incredibly interesting for me, and I hope our listeners really appreciate the advice that you've given. I'm so grateful that you were able to come and join us today. Thank you so much, Erin. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description to fill out the form. Just a quick note: the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed. Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead. All content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.